Beloved brothers and sisters, if you would please turn again your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. As we take a second week this week, as I'm, what I'm calling um, spiritual marks of a healthy and victorious church, I remind you, as we saw last week, we looked at how the Apostle Peter, referring to himself rightly as a, a fellow elder, though he were an apostle, yet as a fellow elder in the church at Jerusalem, how he exhorts the elders, the pastors, to pattern themselves after Christ the chief shepherd, and in so doing to look for the reward of Christ the chief shepherd, to call the flock in truth to imitate us as we imitate Christ. That's no small calling. That is, that is a matter of, of eternal consequence. But he also then calls the congregation, you know, to, uh, in verse 5, he says, and you younger, submit yourself to your elders as unto the Lord, so that there would be a holy mutual harmony and, and respect of seeking to submit and to serve one another in the Lord. And it's that particular dynamic then that he continues on and actually builds on in today's text. We're going to be looking today at uh, verse 5. I'm going to be going looking primarily down through verse 9. I'm going to ask if you'd stand together to hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to read... For context, I'm going to read 1 Peter 5, verse 1 through 9. And again, we'll focus on verse 5 through 9 today. Hear the word of the Lord. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Almighty God, I pray... In the name of Jesus, that blessed name above all names, that you will cause us today to be those that are not merely hearers of the word, but doers by faith. We look to you for direction. We look to you for help. Father, we look to you to be all in all for us and in us. So, Father, as we hear commands today, as we hear exhortations, as we hear incentives, may it all be wrapped in sincere faith toward you. And, O oh God, we pray, as Jesus told his disciples, to increase our faith. 
because you are more than willing to do so. So help us, we pray, to believe and hear, and in the hearing of faith that we might be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, brethren. Well, like I said, I want to pick up today with the second parts of verse 5. And actually, I misspoke earlier. We're going to be looking primarily down through verse 7 today. We'll pick up verse nine, verses 9 through 11 next week because that's the goal towards which Peter's look, moving. But I want us to consider today verse 5 through 7, and particularly because, as we saw last week, there is a mutual submission in the Lord of a vertical submission of youngers to elders and then the elders submitting to the Lord by serving, spending being spent on behalf of those in the congregation, being examples by being uh, leading them as Christ would have his church led as under shepherds in the flock of Christ. But today, we're going to see that Paul, uh, that Peter is also going to focus not only in the, in the horizontal submission one to another, but then on the, on the, uh, not only in the vertical, but also on the horizontal. And as we're going to see here, he's going to direct us with regard to mutual submission. Now, I will tell you as a beginning place, this is not, one, not a case where Peter is, uh, I think this passage is often misunderstood in some ways. Uh, it's not as if Peter gives with one hand and takes away with the other. He says, you know, younger submit to elders, elders spend to be spent for the elders, but all of these submit to one another, meaning let's just not worry about verse 1 to 4. One to five. Rather, what we understand is that this mutual submission to which we're going to be called is one that actually looks like verses one through five. It's one that that uh, it incorporates it and 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 beautifies it so that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is adorned. That's the end game, brethren. All that the Lord calls us to be and do, and the way in which He calls us to be and do it, is so that the kingdom, the economy the household and the ways of God and his works to be adorned among men. So that's that we would be called to do God's work and God's way with the assurance that we will have God's blessing and support as we do it. As we begin today, I was thinking this week that Peter, you know, this epistle that we're reading, you know, this was written to a church that was in the midst of active persecution. I mean, this whole epistle here is one to a church that is not just theoretically, but actually having people die. That is having people be actively persecuted for their name and claim of Jesus. For, uh, as he says in, in chapter 3, for um, seeing Jesus as Lord, confessing him as Lord, right? Uh, sanctifying him as Lord in their hearts and giving a reason for the testimony, for the hope that is within them with meekness and so on. But this church being actively persecuted, what Peter is exhorting them is say, what kind of church, what does it look like for a church to be a bright light in the midst of the darkness around you? That's the issue. How is it that the church of Jesus Christ is going to stand, and not only stand, but thrive in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom we stand as lights in the world, holding fast the word of truth? When the storms come and the, the winds blow against the church, what kind of church is going to stand firm on that rock? And 
As we've seen last week, there's going to be a mutual a submission of elders, serving of elders, leading of elders, and, 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 and you all submitting to the elders in good faith as unto the Lord. But as he's going to say today, there is a horizontal dimension. And I was thinking about Peter. In order, in order to do this, Peter, who wrote this, you remember Peter himself, when Jesus called him, we see Peter over and over again. One of the things you see about Peter is he was supremely self-confident in many ways, wasn't he? Peter, Peter you know, he, he, it's kind of like Peter didn't mean bad. Um, he was often sticking his foot in his mouth, often stumbling and this, that. But a lot of it was because Peter has, Peter just has a, a, a large amount of, of confidence in himself, right? Um, and what Peter had to be learned, to be learned before, in order to, before to, to be an effective apostle, elder, Peter had to be humbled. And you remember Jesus did that with tact. At one point, you know, he, Peter, speaking what he knew not, Jesus did say, you know, get behind me, Satan, adversary. Peter didn't realize he was advocating for the devil at one point. And, and Jesus told Peter directly, you're going to fall and you're going to deny me three times. But I've prayed for you, Peter. The tempter is going to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed. And when you're restored, feed my brethren. But Jesus let Peter fall. And then afterwards, he restores him three times. Peter needed to learn the lesson he's going to give us today. I was listening this past week uh, to a song by Michael Card um, off his album, Poema. Some of you probably heard this before, but it's a song. Uh, it's called The Things We Leave Behind. I encourage you to listen to it. But there's a, the first uh, line goes like this. Says, there sits Simon, speaking of Peter. There sits Simon so foolishly wise. Proudly he's tending his nets. And then Jesus calls and the boats drift away and all that he owns he forgets. But more than the nets that he abandoned that day, he found that his pride was soon drifting away. And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind, especially our pride. Because when we say no to the things of the world, you think First John, the lust of the flesh, the eyes, the pride of life. When we say no to that, it's then that we open our hearts to the love of the Lord and we find indeed that it is hard to imagine the immense freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. Brethren, I want, I want to tell you up front, here's the message today in a nutshell. The Lord is calling you and me as his church to freedom. It's a true liberty, but it's a liberty that is rooted, as Peter's going to say to us, in a mutual submission one to another, and that mutual submission, he says, comes about as we learn to be clothed with humility. Clothed with humility. I want those words ringing in your head and your heart today. If you leave here today with nothing else, I say, get those words. Clothed with humility. The reality is, is that sincere love of God overflows into sincere love of His people, His church, His community. And this love that we have for God is manifested in a disposition of humility and mutual service and submission as we gladly pursue one another's good in the Lord. 
And it's as we do this, as we then adorn and we actually teach the gospel by the way that we live toward one another. We teach the goodness of God and His gospel and His kingdom by preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is the only way that the world is ever going to see the reality of the gospel that we preach and the goodness of the kingdom and the glory of God that we love unto their salvation. Our Lord Jesus told us that by this will all men know that you are my disciples, by the love you have one for another. And that love we have for one another can only thrive where we understand and practice what it means to be clothed with humility. So there's just two key points I want you to see today. Number one from this text, verse 5 to 7. Number one is God's way with His people, with His community, His church. Secondly, is God's will for His church. So let's look at these in turn. Verse 5 to 7. Number one, with regard to God's way with His people. First thing to note here is there at the end of verse 5. He says that God's way with his people is this. God is a God who resists the proud. But in contrast, he gives grace, favor, blessing to those who are humble. And of course, this resistance to the proud, the idea here is that God, this is kind of similar to the idea, it's parallel to the idea of curses and blessings in the Old Covenant, right? And we see in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and so on that God actually actively resists. He, approb- he, he does not give His favor to and actually hinders the actions of those who act in pride or unbelief. And this then leads to temporal and sometimes, if persisted in, even eternal rejection, even eternal cursing if unrepented. If one continues in pride without repentance... God may, we see in Scripture, well remove restraint and give such a one over to fall, fall badly. That's what happened to Peter. Peter needed to fall, not unto his perdition, but he needed to fall badly in order to learn this lesson of pride, of humility before the Lord and to depend on the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, you know this one. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Right? That, that is humility. Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goes before destruction, but a haughty spirit and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. You can take it to the bank. Because God is a God that resists the proud. Where there is supreme self-confidence, where there is uh, pride in your heart and a haughty spirit, I can assure you that the Lord's resistance and maybe His letting you fall in it badly is shortly around the corner, if not turned from. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3, if you would, please. This passage is incidentally from where Peter is quoting, so it's important that we should look there. Proverbs 3, the passage that he quotes from, is verse 34. Let me read the context. You can see why this is especially relevant to a church that's being persecuted. Listen to these words. I'm going to start in verse 31. Do not envy the oppressor. These were people that were being oppressed, right? Don't envy your oppressors, 
don't choose any of their ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. That's the proud one. But he blesses the home of the just. And then here's the verse. Surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. Peter paraphrases that. He resists the proud. He scorns the scornful one. But he gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Well, that verse at the end of chapter 3, as we've said, is actually following from a whole pattern we see in the, in the whole chapter 3. So go back to the beginning of chapter 3 of Proverbs. Because how do we get to this place where we see that God resists the proud, He scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble? And here's the answer. What do the humble and the proud do? Go back to verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. That's a humble one. For length of days and life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you, but bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor, grace, and high esteem in the sight of God and man. You see the pattern? That's what Peter's talking about here, and here's the key. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. So the point here, and that Peter is drawing on this, is that the proud whom the Lord resists is one who fundamentally trusts in his own ways. He is one who has self-trust. He is one who does not have mercy and truth around his neck. He is not one, therefore, who finds favor and blessing from the Lord because he forsakes the law of the Lord. In contrast to that, then, Peter goes and he says, but the Lord will give grace. He will pour out blessing and favor, abundant kindness upon those who are humble. Right? He will open doors providentially. He will answer prayers. He will provide divine assistance and provision for them. You know, the reality is it's quite impossible to fall like the proud person when you live down on your knees in humility. It's impossible to fall when you're already living in humble humility on your knees, as it were, in prayer and trust in the living God. And it's impossible to fall when when you walk with the Lord, you are walking in His hand, in the Spirit, and He is the one holding you up. The one who falls is the one who is self-confident, walking on his own, in his own ways, in his own thoughts, in his own affections, who is proud, and they fall. And sometimes they fall even to their destruction. Humility is the key character quality then that makes us impervious to the wiles, to the assaults of the devil. It makes us impervious to falling. And as I've seen, some of you following this, as I've been seeing just great church leader, mega church leader after mega church leader falling, as I have seen well-known men, brothers, you know, from the evangelical coalitions, the gospel coalition, and so on, and seeing 
thing falls and, 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 and all these things, and it grieves your spirit. But I assure you, in every one of those situations, before the fall, before the things you're seeing, there has been strongholds of pride that are going on behind. Self-confidence. I've been at this long enough, and as a pastor, I know this. May not say that, may not articulate it, but that's what begins to happen, is self-confidence and self-reliance. I've got this. I know what I'm doing. And you slowly drift away from reliance and humility and dependence on the Lord and to pride. The devil gets a stronghold, first in the pastor and then in the church. So, brethren... Just call it out. This fundamental principle of God needs to be one that governs. He will resist us if we are proud. He will hinder our efforts as a church, as families, as individuals, if you're proud. He is going to put divine roadblocks or stumbling blocks before you. But if we are humble, the Lord is going to bless our way. We'll talk more about what that looks like in a minute. Secondly, with regard to God's ways to his church, look what it also says. It says in verse 6b, it says that he will exalt you in due time. The idea is that those who are humble, those who have humbled themselves before the Lord, he is going to exalt them in due time because, verse 7b, he cares for you. So you've probably heard at one time or another, you know, somebody start a gospel presentation with, hey, God loves you and he has an excellent plan for your life, Right? Well, I'm going to tell you, as an evangelistic means, that's just totally wrong. You don't ever see the apostles or Jesus witnessing that way. God loves you and has an excellent plan for your life. But can I tell you something? To those who are the saints of the living God, God says he will exalt you in due time. And he cares for you. Brethren, God loves you and he has an excellent plan for your life. Because you're his. That's not how we get in the door. But brethren, for you who are in Christ, he loves you and he has an excellent plan, a great plan for your life. It's a plan of exaltation in due time. It's a plan from a God who cares deeply and passionately for his flock. So much so that he gave his only begotten son for you while you were yet sinners. So consider then that if God says that he will exalt his humble ones in due time because he cares deeply and affectionately for them, this gives me something about the hope then for this humility that he has said God gives grace to the humble. What is the hope of our humility? And it's simply this, that God intends he will exalt his humble ones in due season. That's a promise. If you humbly follow the Lord, then there is exaltation in due time coming to us as his people, both in this age and in the age to come. The sure hope of our exaltation in the presence of God, men, and angels in due season, as Peter says here, that sure hope gives us faith then now to submit, to endure all things while we patiently wait and hope for God to exalt us. If I am called to suffer and endure for Jesus' sake, but I don't believe that there's, a, there's going to be exaltation at the end. Just endure it. it. makes you strong. 
That's good. It will make you strong. But brethren, if I don't see that Jesus is going to exalt his people and his name through his people, that he's going to turn my suffering for his name's sake, our faithful obedience, that he's going to turn it for his glory and actually to bless the world and exalt you as people, then I don't have much of a sure hope and rock to stand on. That's not going to be good enough when the winds are blowing hard. But what a promise. What a promise. He will exalt you in due time. And he cares for you deeply. Remind you of Psalm 37. You all read this, but that refrain you see over and over again in Psalm 37 is the meek will inherit the land, right? They will inherit the earth. That's why, you know, we're told there in Psalm 37, don't fret because of evildoers. Don't. Don't be envious of workers of iniquity. Why? Because they're going to be cut down like grass. They'll wither as the green herb. Why? I'll tell you why. Because God resists the proud. So what does he say instead? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and you feed on his faithfulness. Even in the midst of deserts, you feed on the heavenly manna that the Lord will send down to you. You feed on that water from the rock because he will see to it that when he leads you in desert places, he will make sure you get what you need. You feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. And do not fret because of those who prosper in their way, because of the man who brings evil schemes to pass. You seek from anger, you forsake wrath. Don't worry, it only causes harm. And then here's the key. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Do you hear what he's saying? The hope is that God is going to exalt you in due time, in due season. And that hope then is that that exaltation before men is going to come about is because what God is doing is purifying his church to make us Christ-like. If God's going to exalt us before men, it's going to be to the degree that the church is Christ-like so that it's Jesus that gets exalted before men. So God's great purpose and passion is to purify his church to make us fruitful. So think back to chapter 1. What does he say in chapter 1? After this great promise of Peter, he says that this great promise that God is going to preserve his people by faith through his power working through faith unto the inheritance. How's that going to happen? Here's how it's going to happen. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the testing of your faith, the proving of your faith, which is much more precious than gold which perishes, though it is tested by fire, your faith may be shown to come forth to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You don't see him right now, but you love him. Why do you love him? Because he cares for you. I'm having not seen you love Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, exaltation, 
And you receive the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here's the point. He's going to purify you. He's going to purge his church. The vine dresser is going to cut the vines that are fruitful and cut off the bad ones. He's going to cut the vines that are fruitful and prune them to make them more fruitful. And you know what's going to happen when that, when that happens? The church that is a Christ-like church is going to, in time, be exalted before, by Jesus before men. Think Joseph. Right? Joseph starts off with this great promise. Joseph, I'm going to exalt you. He gets visions. Your brother's going to bow down to you. I'm going to make you great. Well, brethren, did, did, is, is, that how, is that how it went for Joseph up front? No. He got this vision. He will exalt you in due time, Joseph. He cares for you. So, Joseph, I'm going to send you to Egypt at the hands of evil men, even your brothers and your brethren. And I'm going to let you go there. And you're going to do right, Joseph. And you're going to obey me before men. And I'm still going to let Potiphar and his wife falsely accuse you and imprison you. And you're going to do well there, Joseph. And you're going to get exalted in your sphere in the prison. And you're going to get promoted. And you're going to do right and translate some dreams, some visions, in obedience to me. But the due season hasn't come yet, Joseph, because you're going to get left there by a forgetful baker. <laughs> Not yet, Joseph. Wait on the Lord, Joseph. But in due time, because Joseph, in Potiphar's house, in imprisonment, because Joseph was waiting on the Lord, because Joseph was trusting in the Lord, calling on the Lord through all those years, being shaped and molded Christ in him, in due time, at just the appointed time, God did it. And Joseph was exalted. Because you know why? Joseph was Christ-like. And that's exactly what Egypt needed to see in their moment of crisis. They needed to see Jesus and Joseph. Brethren, it's the same way with the church. He will exalt you in due time because he cares for us. So wait for it. That's our, hope of, that's our hope. And humbling ourselves before the Lord is that that exaltation is coming. And what is the source of it? Again, it's just God cares for you. So let me just put it to you this way. If we're going to have the kind of humility that God is going to reward and bless, I'm just going to call it out. If the hope for us and the source of our humility is that God cares for you, brethren, you need to learn to preach the gospel to yourself every single day and to believe it. I will tell you, you know, you, you know how people become proud. People, even professing saints who once were humble and useful to the Lord in His service, who started well, you know how they make shipwreck of the faith? They become proud. Well, how do they begin to become proud? I'll tell you how they begin to become proud. Because even though week after week they may still preach the gospel message right in all of its details from the pulpit. And they may get the details right. At the end of the day, they don't practice it and believe it. They don't live by the grace they preach. Ephesians 2, turn there if you would please. It's a familiar passage, but... It's a passage I pray that we never get over. Preachers and people that become proud in their affections 
it's because they forget some basic truths and they don't preach themselves to them day in and day out. What are those truths? You he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were once under the course of the world. You were under the prince of the power of the air. Spirit now working the sons of disobedience. You were by nature children of wrath. But God, because he is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, Peter says, because he cares for you. While you were yet dead in trespasses, sins, he made you alive together with Christ. For grace you have been saved, sovereign grace, and he raised you up. He gave you new clothes, a new status, a new name, a new calling, and he raised you up and made you sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Not because you deserve a thing of it, but completely by sheer grace, so that in the ages to come he might demonstrate, show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. You know what that is? That's when Peter says God gives grace to the humble. He pours out blessings on the humble. That's what Paul is saying there. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast, and so on. The root, brethren, of humility is to believe those words. How can you possibly be proud? How can you be a proud and arrogant Calvinist? What a contradiction in terms that is. When you believe in sovereign grace apart from anything you do, completely undeserved, what room is there for pride? It amazes to me how many Reformed preachers even just forget that. And it makes me vigilant that God would help us all, me included, to not forget that. But then that also is the basis not only for my humility towards God, but Paul goes on, he says that that gospel is the basis for my humility towards you and you and you because you remember he says that as you continue on in chapter 2 skip down to verse 12 at you Gentiles at that time you were without Christ you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel strangers from the covenants of promise you had no hope you were without God in the world so not only were we cut off from God but we were cut off from his covenants and his people right but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace himself. He has broken down the wall of separation and the enmity and the law of commandments that separated us so as to make one new man from the two, making peace, and so on. Brethren, there will not be peace with God, there will not be humility towards God, and there certainly will not be humility in the house of God amongst one another unless you and I believe in the depths of your being the gospel. Sovereign grace. And when I have believed in sovereign grace, I will, be, I will gladly submit myself to God, and I will gladly then love and serve and humble myself before those whom God loves. What we need, brethren, is not higher and deeper theology. I'm all for that. But what we need is to believe what we say we know. In fact, the simple truth. Jesus loves me, this I know. And he loves you too. <laughs> That's the great truth. Exalt you in due time because he cares for you. So I'm going to ask you a simple question. Are you being transformed? Remember the, 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 uh, in the Disney movie, right? Um, I don't remember, it's Snow White, but she's looking mirror, mirror on the wall. Remember that? 
Who is the fairest one of all? I want to ask you, brethren, what are you looking at? Because you're going to be transformed in the image of what you look at. Do you know that? The Bible says as much. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3. You become like what you look at. So what are you looking at? Turn to 2 Corinthians 3 and let's see. There's really only two options here. If you're going to become like what you look at, option one, 2 Corinthians 3, this is the good option. The Apostle Paul, chapter 3, verse 17 and following. 17 and 18, and then I'll look also at chapter 4, verse 18. What are you looking at in the mirror? Chapter 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is true liberty. There's where liberty is. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Look down at chapter 4, verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what is, he's saying this. Are you looking at Jesus and at the things that are unseen? Because to the degree that you're looking at those things, if you're looking daily in the mirror of the gospel and the humility and the glory of Christ, you are going to become well, like what you look at. You will. In contrast to that, turn over to James chapter 1. So the one that is humble in heart, who receives grace from the Lord and is exalted in due time, is the one who is looking daily at Jesus and being transformed by that image. But look at James 1. The one who is proud, the one whom the Lord resists. Here's what they look at. James 1, verse 21 and following. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We're talking humility there. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who is observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself. He goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty... Think back to 2 Corinthians 3. If any man is in Christ, I mean, it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And that Spirit of the Lord, where there's liberty, is among those who are looking at, in a mirror, not at their own face, but at Jesus' face, and are being transformed. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one is going to be blessed. He will have God's blessing on him. He's humble. But if you're a forgetful hearer, and if you spend all your time looking at your own face, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be proud. And you know what you're going to have upon your life? God's resistance. And I assure you, brethren, for you to resist that is futile. So then secondly, and lastly, God is a God, as we've seen in His ways, who is gracious he is full of kindness to the humble but he resists the proud he exalts the humble in due time because he cares for them 
What about God's will? And this is the second and last point. He gives some very specific commands then. In light of the truths I've just given you about God's ways, here's, here's the application. Number one, I'm going to start there in, in verse 5 of chapter 5. He says there, let me get back there again. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. So there's the takeaway. Be clothed with humility, and in doing so, be submissive to one another. Now here's the deal. As I've said, humility really is the key theme here. Be clothed with it. Uh, I can't stress enough to you, brethren, the importance of this is probably the chief key virtue among us as, as, a, as a body of Christ. St. Augustine once said this way. He said, should you ask me what is the first thing in religion, I would reply to you as follows. First, second, and third is humility. What is the essence of humility? Brethren, humility is not self-abasement. It's not, oh, what a sorry person I am, self-flagellation. Humility is self-forgetfulness. The person who is humble is the one who is dead to himself or herself. A person who is humble is one who has died with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Jesus now living in me. If you want to be humble, I'm going to say, try harder. (laughs) That's not the right answer. Reckon yourselves, therefore, to be dead in Christ, but dead, dead to the self, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Reckon what Paul says in Romans 6, for you died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Remember what your baptism means, as Paul says in Romans 6. You can't continue in sin, including pride. Why? Because you were baptized into Christ and buried with Him. Therefore, you were raised with Him unto newness of life, so that the old man died and the new man rose with Him. That's your identity. So in view of that, in view of that reality, there's just no place to be concerned about yourself at all because Jesus is concerned about yourself and he's taking care of yourself. So the essence of humility, brethren, is self-forgetfulness and it's Christ is all in all. Horatius Bonar, another one I like to read a lot, said this. I thought this was very helpful. He says, a believing man will be a humble man. He will think little and speak little about himself. True faith carries us above this pride, self-esteem, and vain glory. A believing man, a faithful man, a humble man will refrain from giving prominence to self in any of his proceedings. His great object will be to hide himself so that Jesus may be seen. And not only to forget it himself, but to make others forget himself too. The man that is still proud, boastful, vainglorious, self-confident in his abilities and his reason, has good reason to suppose that he may never have yet truly believed. The true way to humble is not to stoop until you're smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your supposed greatness is. Brothers and sisters, if you want to be humble, just keep your eyes on Jesus. I assure you, as I said before, the problem with most of us when we begin to be proud 
as we have begun to compare ourselves to some other standard. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, but they comparing themselves amongst themselves are not wise. Brothers and sisters, you live and you keep your eyes on Jesus day by day in his word. You meditate on him day and night. You love him as your supreme treasure. And I assure you, you won't have to try to be humble. <laughs> It'll just come out of you as the inevitable fruits of Christ in you. And he says, specifically, be clothed with it. Now, what's interesting, I'll just tell you, that word, be clothed, appears one time in the New Testament right here. And this, our English translations, frankly, don't quite do it justice. It's not that they're wrong, but it actually is just deep. Let me, let me plumb this a bit. The form of this word in its noun form, form literally means a knot or a band by which two things are fastened together. Specifically, it referred to the white scarf or apron that was worn by slaves in the Roman world, which was fastened to the belt then of the vest and distinguished the slaves from free men. This is a key thing. This, the noun form was actually a specific type of belt knot that slaves wore. And what Peter does here is he just takes and turns it into a verb. It's the only time. He literally creates a verb out of a noun. So the sense of it is something like this. Fasten or gird yourselves with humility as your bond service, as your servile garb. He's encouraging us as Christians to show our subjection one to another by putting on the yoke of a slave for your sake, for Jesus' sake. This could also sometimes refer to the overalls which slaves wore in Roman world to keep them clean while working on other, working and, and it basically it was an exceedingly humble garment. That's the point. Brethren, so let me, let me translate this for you. He says, take upon yourself, clothe yourself with the humility of a bondservant. As one who is dead to yourself, who lives only for the will of his master and to serve the master and his people. That's what Peter's saying. It's John 13. If I, your Lord and master, who you rightly call me that, too I am, I don't cease to be your Lord. My submission to you, Jesus says, doesn't de-lord me. But he says, if I, who am your Lord, nevertheless bend down with that towel and basin and I wash your dirty feet as one who has made myself your slave, who is clothed with the bondservant's garb of humility for your sake, you go and do likewise. That's what Jesus is saying. So I ask you, brethren, do you have a heart, a hunger, to humbly wash the spiritual feet, or maybe the actual feet, <laughs> of your brethren as a, as a humble servant? Do you delight, not out of duty, but do you delight in taking the low place for Jesus' sake? Can you resonate in the innermost being with what Jesus says, that the lords of the Gentiles lord it over them, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever is greatest among you shall be the servant of all. It's one thing to say that and to quote verses like that, brethren. 
But I, I, I'm gonna, this is where we get preachy here, but brethren, do you delight in being a bondservant for Jesus for the sake of his people? Is your love for Jesus such that you would gladly take up the basin and the towel and take up the, the yoke of a bondservant, that humble, die to self, no more me, so that you may live in Jesus? My greatest hope and desire is that that's the kind of church we'll be. Because a church where we mutually then submit to one another, because that's the result of that kind of humility, right? It says, and all of you be submissive to one another. So what does that look like? There's many places. Just turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'll tell you what this looks like. Paul tells us what it looks like very clearly. And I don't think I'm going to improve on it. So let's just turn to Philippians 1 verse 27. Here's how this works out. And we're clothed with the bondservant's cloth of humility. Verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Stop right there. Because remember the context. Philippians also is being written to a persecuted church by Paul who's in prison at the time, just like Peter was writing to a persecuted church. So look what Paul says. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Therefore, chapter 2, in light of that reality, here's the therefore. If there is any consolation in Christ, brethren, is there consolation for you in Christ? The God of all comfort who can comfort us in all of our afflictions. If there is any comfort in Christ's love, is there comfort for you in Christ's love, saints? I hope there is. If there is fellowship, koinonia, of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If these things are there, affection and mercy, fulfill my joy. How? By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one accord, of one mind. How do you do that? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each of you esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not out for your own interests. Why? Because I died and my life is hidden with Christ and God. Jesus is looking out for my interests. But you look out for the interests of others. Brethren, that's what it means to be clothed with humility. And he goes on, I won't read it, but he goes on and says, really what you're doing is you're just doing what Jesus did, right? Verse 5 through 11 Though he was very form of God, yet he did not count it a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, he emptied himself, and became a bond servant. So in practice, that means this. Yes, I'm the pastor of this church. But as I said last week, that's what Peter says. My calling is to be one among you that lives this out. I can say, follow me as I follow Christ. 
My call among you is to be one who washes feet, washes souls with the water of the word because I love you all, because Jesus loves you all, because you're his flock and he calls you by name. I'm just an under-shepherd here. Jesus shed his blood for your souls. It means that you then, as unto the Lord, that you submit to leaders, and that means then as all of us, that we submit to one another horizontally. Brethren, a church where we are mutually submitting and watching one another's feet, a church where we are dead to self and alive to God, is a church that the wiles of the devil, those fiery darts, they got no place here, and they won't penetrate because the shield of faith is up. A proud church, those wiles, those darts, those schemes, they're going to find a place here. Roots of bitterness will grow up in our midst. Cracks in the foundation. We will have God working against us rather than for us. So here's the end game. Just simple. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Look what he says. And how do you do that? Verse 7. Casting all of your cares upon him. Think back to Psalm 62. We read this earlier, right? In the midst of persecution, in the midst of the trials that he was undergoing for God, he says, my soul waits silently for God. He is my salvation, my rock. Verse 8, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Cast your cares. Throw your cares on Jesus. I assure you, brethren, he is more than capable of handling your cares and doing something about them to help. He is willing. And Jesus knows about humbling himself under God's mighty hand. So I'm going to close just with these words then. I talked to you at the beginning about a song from Michael Card. I'm going to end with one. Peter had to lose his pride, and in doing so, he left it behind, and he found that there was something far, far more valuable, a treasure in Jesus that made Peter then willing to be clothed with the servant's garb of humility for the sake of Jesus' name and for the sake of his brethren. And when that happens, the church is strong and impenetrable. So I'm going to close with this song, and I know many of you know this, from another one from Michael Card. It's called The Bass and the Towel. Just listen. Because this is what Peter's talking about. In an upstairs room, a parable is just about to come alive. And while they bicker about who's best with a painful glance, Jesus silently rises. Their Savior servant must show them how through the will of the water and the tenderness of the towel. And the call is to community, to the impoverished power that sets our souls free in humility to take the vow that day after day we must and will take up the basin and the towel. In any ordinary place, on any ordinary day, the parable can live again. When one will kneel in humility and one will yield in humility. Our Savior servant must show us how. Through the will of the water and the tenderness of the towel. The space between ourselves sometimes is 
more than the distance between the stars, but by the fragile bridge of the servant's bow. We take up the basin and the towel. And the call is to humility, to community, to that impoverished power that sets the soul free. In humility, we take a vow to the Lord and to one another that day after day after day we will take up the basin and the towel and we will be clothed with humility. Let us pray. Father God, Father, our heart's yearning is to be this kind of church. Father, this is what I want for myself, for us. That we would be humble that when we hold convictions, when we stand firm, it is stand firm because we are humbled before you, because we are trusting in you, looking for your blessing, not proud, not arrogant, not for self-conceit, but just because we love you and believe your truth. Father, I pray that in all things we would be a people that are characterized as bondservants, glad servants to spend and be spent for one another's souls, that we would think nothing of ourselves, very little. Father, that we would be clothed with humility, that we not be found naked. Because Jesus is our only possession, and giving of ourselves becomes a delight. Father, may it be that we would know and delight in the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind, from our pride, from our selfish seeking and self-concerns. Father, may it be that we would be dead to ourselves and alive to God, that Jesus would be our all in all, that the gospel would be believed and proclaimed here and loved and adorned. Oh, Father God, please help us. I pray that you would let us not get off track, let us not become proud and incur your resistance against us. Father, by whatever means you must, keep us clothed with humility, and in doing, may we be mutually submissive one to another, seeking each other's good as our highest aim and delight. And in so doing, may we see the truth of what Peter said, that you give grace to the humble. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.